when I'm near God, I begin to burn with him. And when I begin to burn with him, um, the wood, the hay, and the stubble of my own life begins to, begins to catch fire. And, and so everything, everything that isn't the kingdom, every, everything that's wood, hay, and stubble, everything that's perishable uh, begins, to, begins to burn. And every, when, as it burns, it begins to reduce my life. It, I, I, get, I get reduced to the things that are essential. I get reduced to the things that are elemental. I get reduced to the things that are key and central and, 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 and just the core of what it means to be a person who knows God. And, um, and, and that's the reason I want to talk about this, because we, we have to be a people who are continually alive with the fire of God and continually being reduced, reduced, reduced to what it means to be, uh, be a part of the kingdom. We need to be those people who are continually being reduced to that which is central and key and, and essential in the kingdom. Um, and I've, I've been using the word reduced, but one of the things that, that, that I've, I've realized in my own life is that when I, when I encounter God, and when I continually encounter God, uh, everything that's perishable in my life burns up. I get reduced to that which is central. And it's actually not a reduction in my life. I, I keep using that word reduced. But it, it, it's less reduction and it's more like, it's like concentration. Those elements of my life, they become concentrated. They, they become stronger. They become, they, they become, they become concentrated. It's, it's, like the, it's like the little, it's like the detergent that you use downstairs, like, Back in the day when my mom, when I lived at home with mom, you know, the detergent bottle was, you know, this big. And, and now it's this big and does the same stuff. Why? It's, it's concentrated. It's what the fire of God does. It takes you from here and it makes you super concentrated. So this is, uh, this is the process of kingdom concentration. So last week I, I talked... Uh, just uh, a little bit about repentance and about how repentance is one of those essential elements. It's one of those one of those essential elements in keeping the fire of God alive. And and this week I want to I want to read to us out of Mark chapter six. And this week I want to talk about I want to talk about one of the ways that we that we avoid having that flame go out. Let's look at the first six verses, if that's okay. Mark chapter six, first six verses. Jesus left there and he went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that's been given him, that he even does miracles? Isn't he the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said, only in his hometown among his relatives and in his own house is a prophet without honor. And he could, not, he could not do many miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. And then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. give you a little background before we unpack this. I really only got one nugget this week. I always pray for two nuggets, and I only got one nugget this week, so I think it'll be enough. Yeah, maybe, maybe it'll be half as long, you know. That'd be good. 
Um, Arthur Grimes. Oh. Give you a little background here so we have some worldview of what's happening here. Jesus is shown up in his hometown here in, in the Gospel of Mark, and before, he's, uh, before he gets here to his hometown in Nazareth, uh, he's, been, he's been in a lot of the surrounding villages in, in a territory called Galilee. Uh, we think more in terms of like a state. He's like in this northern state, kind of at the top of Israel, in this little territory called Galilee. It's kind of out in the wilderness. It's out in the bush. It's up in the hills. It's where the, it's where the rednecks live. It's Kentucky, pretty much. So Jesus is out in Kentucky, and he, he, he's not been to his hometown. He's, he's been baptized by John. He came out of the water. The Holy Spirit falls on him. It looks like a dove. It doesn't just fall on him, but it falls on him, and it sticks and stays on him. And while he's, uh, after that, he, he goes out, and he begins ministry, and he shows up at the synagogues, little churches out in Kentucky, out in the sticks, out in the backwoods, and he begins to preach. And he's about 30 years old, and and uh, he, for whatever reason, at the beginning of his ministry, he really likes this town called Capernaum. It's, it's pretty much Greensburg. And so he's just hanging out in Greensburg. And uh, he shows up in Capernaum, and he, and he gives a sermon. And, and, and people are blown away. They're like, this guy can do it. This is unbelievable. How is this guy doing this? And in the middle of his message, this guy with the demon there in Greensburg just jumps up and says, I don't mean to malign Greensburg, but there we go. There's, there's, there's plenty of demons here in Campbellsville, so no worries. But there's this guy with a demon in Greensburg, and he jumps up and he says, you know, hey, Jesus, you know, what are you doing if you come here to torment us? And Jesus tells the guy, be quiet, and kicks that demon out. And then a little later on, Jesus goes over to Simon's house, and Simon's mother has a fever. And so Jesus puts his hand on, puts his hand on his mother, mother-in-law, and he speaks to the fever. Fever leaves. We have this combination of events. They, they basically happen in the same town. And so these two things, Jesus preaches with power, kicks a demon out. This is all Mark chapter 1, by the way. Kicks a demon out, puts his hands on Simon Peter's mother-in-law, kicks the, kicks the fever out. And, and these two events, com- in combination with the preaching, spark pretty much a revival in Capernaum, okay? So here's what I want you to imagine. Uh, there's a, imagine this circle right here. This, I should have got a map. What am I doing? This circle right here is the lake. Capernaum's up here and Nazareth is over here. It's the hometown. It's not far away. It's, you know, it's like Camelsville and Greensburg. So he's up in Greensburg and Jesus has pretty much kicked off a healing revival. And at the end of it, after Jesus heals the mother-in-law of the fever, they start bringing them, everyone in the territory. They just bring everyone. They get all the sick people. They bring them in and they get all the demonized people and they bring them in. They say, Jesus, you know, do what you've done. And he puts hands on them and everyone gets healed. Massive healing revival in Greensburg. And, um, and so Jesus, at this point, he's only been ministering just for a little while, maybe a year, maybe some, sometime less than a year, and he decides to go home. And so here's what I want to get to before we get to this, is that by the time that Jesus gets to Nazareth, he's becoming famous. He's like the biggest dog in central Kentucky, okay? Everybody knows about him. There's even some people in Louisville who've heard about him. It's getting to be big. And, and like one or two dudes from Nashville even heard about him. And, and so he decides to go home. And so by the time he goes home, he's in this little tiny, you know, probably a little, little synagogue, you know, not very big, probably about the size of this. And, and when Jesus shows up, they're like, man, the hometown boys come home. And we've heard crazy things about him. And so everyone came, you know. And, and my, my, in my mind's eye, anyway, if I were making the movie, like Jesus walks into Nazareth, everyone, you know, it's, it's hardly anything there. But everyone's kind of like, yeah, man, Jesus is back. And he's going to bring us to healing revival or whatever. And, and so everyone's really curious and they, and they come to hear him, and when Jesus 
shows up at home. He, he just, you know, kicks it off at home pretty much the way he kicked it off everywhere, and he begins to teach. And I love what it says in verse 2. I want you to, if you've got a pen or a pencil in your Bible, and I hope you brought your Bible, I want you to underline verse 2. It says, when Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. I want you to underline that word amazed. Many who heard him were amazed. Now I want you to pay careful attention what happens after amazement in just two short verses, okay? He went to the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. Verse 3. Oh, actually verse 2 right here. They begin to ask themselves, where did this man get these things? What's this wisdom that's been given him that he even does miracles? Verse 3, tone change. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Two short verses, and we go from amazement to offended. Isn't that crazy? The Lord Jesus comes to your, comes to your town. He shows up in Camelsville. He's, done, he's been rocking Greensburg. He even made a trip over to Columbia. He went down 61, and he just blew that town up, and he came, finally came to your hometown. And he's preaching, and he's blowing us away, and we go, from, we go from amazement to offense. How do you go from amazement to offense? How do you go from amazement to offense. I want you to turn your Bibles back to Mark chapter 1. Just because I, I want us to put eyes on this for a second. I've explained a little bit of it already, but I want us to put eyes on it. I want you to see it in your Bible, okay? I want you to see where it's at in your Bible. Marcus, if you'll put up Mark chapter 1. Now, I want you to keep, keep in mind the passage we just read. And I want you to listen to the tone of this passage, okay? And I want you to notice the similarities, all right? They went to Capernaum, and when Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. This is remarkably similar, isn't it? It sounds like the same story. The people were amazed at his teaching. Go ahead, and if you're in Mark chapter 1, just underline that word amazed. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law, and just then a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What would you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. And the evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. And the people were all so amazed, they asked each other. Look at this, amazed again. They asked each other, What is this, a new teaching? And with authority, he even gives orders to the evil spirits and they obey him. Look at verse 28. And news about him spread over the whole region of Galilee. The next little part in your scripture is that story I was telling you where he heals Simon's mother-in-law and, and he, you know, the healing revival really kind of starts, if we can use that language. So we've got, this, we've got this little piece of scripture in Mark chapter 1. Then we've got the piece of scripture we just read in, in Mark chapter 6. Anybody noticing the similarities? They're like, it's like the same thing. You ask yourself, what's the difference? How is it that in, how is it that in Nazareth, they go from amazement in verse 2 to offense in verse 4. But in Capernaum, they go from amazement to amazement. How is it that in Capernaum, they go from amazement to amazement 
to, to healing revival, to the kingdom of God breaking out and being a benefit to everyone. And then how is it that in, in just a few chapters later, chapter 6, we looked at, how is it they go from offense, only two short verses after being amazed at Jesus' teaching? How does that happen? What's the difference? I'd like to suggest it's one very, very simple difference. And um, it's one of the keys for how to keep uh, the flame of God alive in your heart. The difference between Nazareth and Capernaum, I'd like to suggest to you that the difference there is familiarity. Jesus comes home, and he begins to teach, and his teaching is knocking people out. It's just so good. And, and at the end of his teaching, he's probably getting ready to do some stuff because, you, know, you know, he just loves people. And, and people begin to ask themselves questions. They begin to say, well, what, what is this stuff? Where did he get this stuff? Where did he get this wisdom? Where did, where, did, where, where did this, he does miracles. Where did he get these miracles? And they begin to ask themselves, isn't this, isn't this Mary's son? Isn't, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this, aren't his brothers with us? Aren't his sisters with us? And so the difference is familiarity. And what I'd like to suggest to you is this. This is my one nugget, so everybody get ready, okay? This is what I'd like to suggest to you. I would like to suggest that, that your previous experience with Jesus can actually keep you from the second experience with Jesus. I want to say that again. I would like to suggest that your previous past experiences with Jesus can actually keep you from a current and future experience with Jesus. This is what was happening. Jesus shows up. His reputation has spread. It precedes him. His reputation gets to his hometown before he gets to his hometown. He comes in. Everyone's excited. He begins to teach with power. And people begin to do the math. And they say, how is it that the carpenter is talking like this? How is it that the carpenter is doing healings? How is it that the carpenter is here opening blind eyes? How is it that the carpenter is putting his hands on people with leprosy? How is it that Mary's son isn't his brother... Isn't his brother Simon over here in the back row? And they go, well, Simon, you're his brother, but you don't do any of this stuff. Here's what's the difference. The difference is familiarity. They had grown up with Jesus. Here's the deal. Some of the people in the synagogue in this day, in in Mark chapter 6, some of the people who were present and in the synagogue in Mark chapter 6, they were probably sitting there listening to Jesus, and they're getting blown away by his teaching. They're thinking, I don't get this. This is the guy who made our coffee table. No, he's been, he's been working on coffee tables for the last 30 years, and now he's like working on deafness. And so what I would like to suggest to you is this, that, that our, our previous experience, our previous encounter with the Lord can actually keep you from a future encounter with the Lord. Why? Because, because familiarity builds boxes for people. Have you ever noticed this? Familiarity builds boxes with people. Which is why it's so fun to go to high school reunions. Yeah, I, I, I've, been to, I've been to two high school reunions. I've been to my 10-year, and I went to my wife's 10-year. And I can't, you know, I'm, we're recording this, and it goes up on the Internet, so I have to be diplomatic. But high school reunions are bonkers, aren't they? Like the pretty popular people, 10 years later, what happens to these people? You know? And, and inevitably, like, I, I remember, I, I went to high school, and I, and I go to my 10-year reunion, and, like, a couple of the total knuckleheads are like millionaires. I'm blown away. I'm like, what am I doing? You know, what is happening? Yeah, see, familiarity, what it actually does is it builds boxes for people. Have you ever noticed that, 
that, that, that when somebody, have you ever noticed this? Maybe you've had a relationship where you knew someone or perhaps where someone knew you and maybe it was years ago and, and you were just this, a certain kind of person, but you know, uh, you moved away or something or they moved away and four or five years go past and you go and you meet that person and you realize that you've changed. You're not that person anymore, but the, but the person you used to hang out with five years ago keeps trying to put you in the box of who you used to be five years ago. They won't let you be anything more. You ever notice that? That's what's going on here. What's the difference? How do you go from being amazed to offended at the Lord? Familiarity. Having a, just a familiar spirit. I love, I love some of what they say. It's, it's bonkers. I mean, when we, wipe, when we wipe the Bible off of some of what they say here in, in chapter 6, it's pretty shocking. They start pretty, pretty general. They say, you know, what's this wisdom that's been given him? He even does miracles. Isn't this the carpenter? Pretty generic, but you see the offense starting to set in. The, little second, the, the second thing they say about him here, they say, isn't this Mary's son? And aren't his brothers here with us? No, if we wipe the Bible off that just for a second, Actually, what they're saying is pretty scandalous. Imagine, imagine Mary. 30 years ago, she gets pregnant. And she gets pregnant by God. And so she goes to tell Joseph, who she's not married to yet, hey, I'm pregnant, and God did it to me. And Joseph doesn't really believe her until he has a dream, then he believes her. And then, then Mary has to tell her mom and dad. Mom and dad, I'm pregnant. I'm not married. And God did it to me. That might have been a hard pill to swallow. And, and then the neighbors find out. I mean, like, whether you tell the neighbors or not, they eventually see the bump growing on your belly. I mean, you know? And so the scandal, the scandal. Mary has literally lived with, with the scandal for 30 years. And, you know, it's not as quite a big a deal today, but it was a huge deal back then. This was a huge, huge deal. And so Mary's lived with this for 30 years. And so you, you see what they're saying to him. Not on that. But you see what they're saying to him. When, when, they, when, they, begin to, when, they, when they begin to question what he's carrying, they say, what's this wisdom that's been given him? And he even does miracles. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? Isn't this, isn't this, that, isn't this that bastard kid Jesus? That's, what, that's basically what they're saying. That's what happens when you wipe the Bible off. That's what they're saying. Let's let's get down to that. The scandal that was involved, where did it come from? How did they get from amazement to offense? They were just familiar with Jesus. He had built their coffee tables. He had fixed their chairs. He had come over over and and built a a barn for them. He had probably probably fashioned some uh, yoke for their ox so they could go out and plow their garden. And so they began to do the math, and they say, man, how in the world is this guy, this guy? Because here's the deal. Familiarity builds a frame for offense. And then let's look at verse 5. Let's actually look at verse 4. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown... And among his relatives and in his own house is a prophet without honor. And he could do no miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. 
And he was amazed at their last lack, lack of faith. Verse 6. You see, familiarity builds the frame for offense. And offense lays the groundwork for unbelief. So here's the deal. How, 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 do we have, how do we get the spark of God in our life? How, how, one, of the, one of the best ways we get the, the ignition of God in our life, how do we do that? One of the best ways to get the ignition of God in your life is to respond to the kingdom of heaven with repentance, to change your heart, to change the way you think, to go the other direction, to, to begin to align yourself so that Jesus' words really are good news to you. But how, how do you begin how do you, to live a lifestyle of that? One of the ways that we can live a life of having an inflamed heart, a heart that's alive, is to have a heart that doesn't become, that doesn't let our familiar experience with Jesus put, a, put, put what Jesus might want to do in a box. Um, probably the biggest hindrance to the move of God in this place is the move of God that's happened here before and in other places that we've experienced. What do I mean? What, this is what I mean. A lot of us have, have encountered, especially in this room, a lot of us have encountered Jesus. And so when we, we encountered Jesus, uh, we were at a church, maybe we were at youth camp, and there was some, you know, just there was a, there was a season when our heart was open to God, and, and we, we, uh, the kingdom of heaven came close, and we responded with repentance, and the fire of God came in our life. And, and so forevermore, what it means to have a move of God is to have that experience. You know, and for some of us, that was, that was 35 years ago. And so what, it, what does it mean to have a move of God? What does it mean to encounter the Lord? Well, it means that experience that we had 35 years ago. And we say, well, you know, and, and we begin to build theologies that are, that are good, but actually keep us from a greater experience of God. It goes like this. The theology that we build in our mind is Jesus is a Savior. You know, I had an encounter with Jesus as a Savior, and so the only thing I've ever, kn- I've ever known is Jesus as a Savior. And to the extent that I become familiar with Jesus as a Savior is the extent to which I lock myself away from Jesus as a friend or Jesus as a healer or Jesus as a deliverer. Can you hear that? Yeah, or, or some, of us, some of us maybe had several encounters, and, and it goes like this. I have an encounter with Jesus. I give him my heart. He gives me his life. The flame of God begins to erupt in, in my body and in my soul and in my spirit. And then... Uh, and then maybe, maybe I have a season, I live somewhere else or something, and I, and I live in a place where there's an outpouring of the Spirit, and that outpouring of the Spirit is, is it has certain characteristics, you know? And, and, so, and so what we end up doing is we, we, we give ourselves, it's because that outpouring of the Spirit ends up impacting us at a heart and spirit level, and it has certain characteristics, and we begin to build a frame around those characteristics than the, rather than the Spirit who, who enabled us to encounter Him in that way. And we begin to say that the future move of God, or my next experience, it's only validated when, I, when, when it happens in the way that it happened before. You get it? I'm not saying this very well, but I'm, tr- I'm trying to get there. Well, let me put it like this. Some of us in the mid-90s encountered the Lord. The Lord was just doing stuff in the mid-90s that... that it, in my life that he had not done in any other season up to that point. And one of the things that was happening is when the Lord would, when the presence of God would show up in church in the mid-90s, like here's the deal, this is, what it, this is literally how it would be, early days at the vineyard. Like we didn't know Jack, we would grab a guitar, like one, you know, somebody would get a guitar and he could kind of play three chords and we would sing and the Holy Spirit would come in the room and then the next thing you know, everyone's laughing because the Holy Spirit's in the room. And it was fun. But here's the danger. 
The danger is to say that the future move of God will be when we get up front, when we play a few chords, and when we all start laughing. And we begin to build a box around the familiar experience of Jesus. That's what I mean. And our encounters with God can actually, if, if, we, if we become familiar and, uh, with Jesus in that sort of way, and if we limit him to the, to the external stimuli of whatever that moment was, can actually keep us from getting to have the next breakthrough and encounter with Jesus. It's the essence of the religious spirit. That's really what I'm trying to get at. It's the essence of religion. Let me spell it out another way. Because some of you guys are, uh, my email box is going to be full tomorrow. And if not tomorrow, then in a couple weeks when everybody on the World Wide Web hears this. Some, some, some people in the room might be thinking, well, isn't it good to be familiar with Jesus? Yeah, of course it's good to be familiar with Jesus. It's good to be in his presence. That's not what I'm saying. You guys know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the inconsequential religious baggage that comes, that comes along with certain encounters with God and beginning to say that those define who Jesus is or those define a God moment rather than the spirit that brings them. And um, here's the other thing about familiarity as well. Familiarity in this sense... It's the root of spiritual pride and blindness because it says that Jesus must meet my expectations and he must be the Jesus that he has always been to me rather than humbly submitting to the Jesus who shows up today. I will say that again. See, familiarity in this sense is the root of blindness and it's the root of spiritual pride because it says that Jesus must meet my expectations. And when he meets my expectations, he should meet my expectations by being the Jesus that he's always been to me. Rather than humbly submitting to the Jesus who shows up to us today and saying, God, whatever it is you have, I'm here. You want to talk? I, this, is how we, this is how we grow our heart. This is how we grow the flame of God in our life. And this is how we, we, we position ourselves to live in a place where we have where we live literally in a God encounter all the time. It's about not having an offended heart. It's, it's about being the kind of person who says, man, if the presence of God showed up here really powerfully, and, and if, if, if Jesus, if, if, if what he wanted to do was come around and, and, and touch every single person, and when he touched every single person, if, if, it, if it made us all have blue hair, if that was the encounter that, that God came and gave, I don't know why he would do that, but if that's, if that's what happened, if God came in the room and he touched everybody and everyone miraculously had blue hair, it, it's being the kind of person who, do, who, who, says, who says, I'll not be offended by what I don't understand. I'll not be offended by what I don't understand and I'll not be the kind of person who's offended because he didn't give me what he gave me last time or he didn't do today what he's always done before. Blue hair or otherwise. Here's one of the things, this is one of the things about a people who, who have significantly met with the Lord through history. A people who have significantly met with the Lord through history have been a people who have hungered and thirsted for him and who have said, Jesus, we want you. We put no agendas other than we want you. couple things and then I'll be done. 
So this is how, this is one of the ways I think, and this is, I really do feel like this was a word from the Lord for our church, because we, we are a church who has encountered God. And one of the things that, that happens when you're a church who has a history where you've encountered God, when, I mean, I don't know, 14 weeks ago, we prayed for a guy up here with a brain tumor, and he, he had gone to the gone to the hospital, got an MRI, there's a brain tumor in there. We prayed for him. He goes back to the hospital a week later and they do a CAT scan on him and there's nothing there. Okay, so we've been, like, and that's been in our history from day one. I mean, he's got the pictures. I've, you know, I've seen them. It's bonkers, you know? And you go, how does that happen? But we've been a church who, who has met the Lord. Um, I, I remember... I remember a couple years ago when we had our first worship conference here, if, if some of you guys were here, the Saturday night of that worship conference, I don't even know what happened other than like the heavens were opened and the presence of God came in here and even the 45-year-old men were dancing. You know, we've been a church that's encountered the Lord. And here's what happens, here's what happens when you're a church that encounters the Lord. When you're a church that encounters the Lord, you begin to set watermarks for things. You go, well, it's good it's good when we get to this, you know. Well, when the 45-year-old men dance and when, and when the brain tumors are gone and when, when a little gold dust flies in the air and when the preaching's not boring and when, you know, we begin to, we just begin to line it out, you know, and say, Lord, these are our expectations for what good is. The, the more that we do that, the more that we do that, the more, that we, the more that we actually distance ourselves from being the kind of people who can actually receive another touch from Him. Here's the deal. There's a way to, there's a way to honor everything that the Lord's done. And, and, and it really is built around the word honor. But, the, but there's a way to also say that this is the, these, are, these are the criteria, Jesus, that you've got to meet for us to be satisfied. And that can't be who we are. Because, because it's in my heart that this church be a place where God shows up every single week. Amen? All right, I want to talk about familiarity in one more, uh, in one, at one more angle, and, um, and then I'll be done. So that's, that's about familiarity with Jesus and about how, about how we, we sometimes line out criteria and say, Jesus, you've got you to meet these things or we're not satisfied or it's not good till we hit that. That's, that's one level that will keep us from uh, keep us from having an, an alive and, a, and an inflamed heart. Uh, that kind of familiarity, if, if I can use this picture, it's like this. It's like having an inflamed and an alive heart that's burning. And, and when we begin to move into that kind of familiarity spirit, that kind of a religious thing, what we literally do is we just take a blanket and we just slowly lower it over it. And it doesn't go out all of a sudden. It's kind of slow until it's gone. And then you go, what happened? Well, it's just died under our own it's died under our own expectations and our own criteria. So that's one level. But I also want to talk about familiarity from this. Flip the, flip the switch just a little bit. Uh, imagine, imagine being Jesus for a minute here. And by the way, anytime you read the Scripture, you need, to, you need to envision yourself in the Scripture, okay? That's one of the great ways to be able to put you. You've got you to gotta imagine that when Jesus is talking, he's talking to me, and I'm sitting right next to Peter and John. But in, in this case, imagine the scripture that we just read, these first six verses, and imagine that you're Jesus just for a minute, and imagine that you've been faithful to your mother and father. You've honored them in every way. And imagine that you've been a really good brother, and you've, you've, you've helped your other brothers, and you've helped your sisters, and for 30 years, you have done incredible work. And by the way, Jesus would have been the best carpenter that ever lived, okay? He, 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 wouldn't, he wouldn't spike the job on anyone, and 
I mean, when, when Jesus told you it was going to be $35, it's going to be $35. And when Jesus told you it was going to be $1,500, it's going to be $1,500. And there was no wiggle room, and that's just what it was. He would have been honorable in every way. Imagine being Jesus, honorable to your mother, honorable to your father. Imagine being a helper to your brothers and your sisters. Imagine being like the best business guy that ever was. And imagine, imagine, imagine beginning to walk in your destiny. Imagine being called out by the prophet. Imagine being dunked in the river and when you came out the Holy Spirit falls on you and imagine uh, the mission of God coming alive in your life and imagine going home and being rejected by the people that you know and love best kind of stink huh what's the point the point is this we do that all the time to one another here's what I mean I alluded to it earlier but uh, we, we do it all the time to one another Somebody, uh, somebody even within the congregation or even, you know, some of our friends outside, we know them a certain way, we, we get to know them, we, we share life with them, and, and, and they, they're, they're, they're a certain kind of person, and then God begins to touch them, God begins to call them, God begins to release them, God begins to promote them, and we begin to like, just kind of like war with them over this thing they're becoming. And what we really need to do if we want to be a church where we see the move of God be accelerated and go to the next level is that when we see a person who is at one time a certain kind of person being transformed under the hand of the Holy Spirit into a new kind of, of, of person, uh, not unlike Jesus in that he's on a mission. When we begin to see a person be moved from one category or one box into another, we need to be the kind of church and the kind of congregation that gets behind them and pushes them into that even more. <clears throat> I say that, and some of you may be like, I don't have any idea what you're talking about, Adam. I'm just saying that the more that we hang around the Lord, the more we're going to understand that. Um, because the Lord wants to do something here, and He wants to do it with people who go here. And uh, here's the deal. If I can just be this frank. There are people here today who, who are doing things and are, who are really happy and who are really satisfied. And in five years, you're not going to be doing those things because the call of God is going to touch you and put you in a different spot. And you, you might be thinking, not me. I'm telling you, yeah, you. Okay? And I'm not talking about full-time ministry, getting a tape ministry and a bus. and I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about that the Lord just might touch a person or two here. You might still be the same. You might still be in the same business that you're working on. But the Lord may begin to touch you and lead you in a certain ministry of pastoring and shepherding that place. And you become a different kind of person. Altogether, And we need to be the kind of church that presses on people and pushes them into that even more. There are people here, there are people here this morning who, who think, man, you know, all I'm ever going to do is I'm just going to go to the factory, I'm going to punch the clock, I'm going to go home, I'm going to be with my kids, I'm going to watch The Office, I'm going to watch the NFL on Sunday, and I'm going to buy a boat, and after I buy a boat, I'm going to buy a bigger boat. And then after I buy that boat, I'm going to buy a bigger boat still. And you might think that's me, and I want to tell you, that's not you. No. Not if you hang out. Not if you hang out in the presence of the Lord. Everybody who hangs out in presence gets mission attached to their life. And mission comes with power of the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Holy Spirit is a transformational kind of thing. And the thing that can shut that off is familiarity that says, no, you've never been that, so you can't be that. Amen? Amen. If you're on the ministry team this morning, why don't you come up? Everybody say hi to the ministry team.
That's good. Uh, we'll start with my lovely, my lovely wife, my lovely assistant, Andrew. That's funny. Okay, uh, let's see, is Rachel Zabo here today? Is she still on fall break? Okay, all right, cool. Well, she missed it. Just kidding. And we'll never get it. To. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll put that in a vault. Yeah, we'll, uh, I'll catch up with it. All right. Uh, does, does anybody here do, like, any kind of security work? I thought I saw, like, a security guard outfit or police outfit. Is that anybody? <clears throat> okay. Cool. All right. Well, I'll keep my eyes open this week. Uh, is anybody having throat issues? Throat uh, issues in the house right there. Okay. We would love to pray for you afterwards. Come see us. Uh, inner ear. Anybody dealing with some inner ear issues? Mm-hmm. All right. Okie doke. Uh, arthritis. Anybody dealing with arthritis in their hands? Especially is what I, is the image I saw was in the hands. Mm-hmm. Okay. Dick, it's your day. <laughs> uh, I thought I saw a street sign that said Weston Street. Does anybody live on a street called Weston Street? W-S-T-O-N, Weston is what I saw. Okay. Uh, okay, the last thing I thought I saw, or no, this is a, uh, we, my wife and I watched a movie earlier this week when I was praying this, uh, this word that I think is for the, the church, especially for people that are uh, lonely or feel alone. Uh, there's a, a couple that's expecting a baby, and they're you know, expecting a little girl, and they're talking about promises they're making to each other. And the uh, woman says to the guy, promise that you will always listen to her, really listen to her, and that her fights will be your fights. And that I just felt like the Lord is saying that, you know, for those of you that feel alone, the Lord really listens to you, okay? Mm-hmm. And that your fights are his fights. Thanks, Jesus. And, and you know, so that, you know, he... he fights both for and with you, okay, and that you are not alone. And so I feel like there's encouragement there for the lonely, and I also feel like it's a two-part word. I feel like it's a challenge as well that you can flip that around and say that his fights are our fights, and so that we, you know, when we see things in the kingdom that the Lord wants to fight for, that we also need to jump in and partner with him and fight alongside the Lord. So be encouraged and be challenged at the same time. So if you have a, a hard time maybe receiving that word, that you know that you have a hard time believing that the Lord really listens to you or that the Lord is fighting for you, we'll pray for you. Maybe we can see some breakthrough this morning. Okay? That's good, Lord Andrew. Awesome. Greg. Yeah, I got the uh, ear thing too, specifically the left one. So yeah, we'd love to pray with you guys. Uh, and then also at the, at the beginning of worship, I saw the Lord lay out this um, gold sheet. And it was, it was long and it was narrow. And uh, he said it was a holy slip inside. Yeah. And uh, not only was it a holy slip inside, but it wasn't covered with water. It was covered with the oil of intimacy. And um, he's, he's just inviting you to, to jump on there because he's like, this is supposed to be fun. So, yeah. So I'd love to pray with you guys. You want to jump on? Because I am. Greg is on. <laughs> Um, I had a word kind of similar to Andrew's. Um, I just kind of felt like during worship that there's at least a handful of people, probably more, but a handful of people who come here every Sunday and it's like a ministry time comes and you're just kind of wanting someone to give a word that pinpoints you, but like you don't feel like anyone ever 
does, so you keep coming back, and you, you want someone to say that exact thing that, that's going on, but you don't hear it. And I feel like the, today the Lord just um, wants to, to just uh, pay attention to you. So kind of a word for miscellaneous. So anything you come in here with, or especially if you come here week after week and waiting for someone to pinpoint it, but you don't feel like anybody ever has, and you, you think, you know, why is it, um, why might I get paid attention to? Why is this never getting called when it's on my heart? Um, I'd really like to, to, to pray with you today. That's good. That's good. Miscellaneous. That's a good word, huh? Man, anybody got anything they want to put in the miscellaneous file? Man, I got about three, Jesus. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Why don't we stand up? I want to pray for you guys. Father, we're crazy about you this morning. Thanks for coming to be with us. Thanks for being near us, God. You're so good to us. And Father, we ask that uh, that this week we would encounter more of your presence. Father, to the extent that you have kicked something off in anybody this this morning, Father, I ask that you you would increase it. Father, I ask that at, at the Vineyard Campbells we're here, Father, I ask that we would be, we would be people uh, who are outposts and brokers of the kingdom. Father, I ask that we would be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. And Father, I ask that you would give us gifts of ministry this week to heal the sick and to bind up the brokenhearted. Father, I ask that you'd give us prophetic encouragement for people who are lonely and afraid and uh, discouraged and in the corner, Father, I ask that you would just you would give us uh, just a ministry to break through that this week. And Father, we also ask that you would um, that you would bless every home and every family in the room this morning. Father, I ask that you would touch every husband and every wife, and that you would uh, that you would grow the love in that home. Father, I ask that you would that you would touch children, and that uh, for the families who are part of the vineyard here, Father, I ask that there would be just an increased awareness of your presence, even even when we're just doing w- just regular life, God. Even when we're just washing the dishes and eating a meal, God, would you come and, and rest with all of us, Father? We ask that your presence would be in our home this week, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in peace.